Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Thank God for the Word. Praise God. Thank you for your holy written Word. If you would please, James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. I want to share with you a message that will help us be lifted to new horizons in Christ. Anyone have a desire to be lifted to a new horizon in Him? I know I do. It's my heart's desire to grow in Him constantly, continuously. Never to be the same, but to change from glory to glory in Him. So that I decrease and He increases. You see less of me and you see more of Him. Every Christian should have that testimony. Less of self, more of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. If that's your heart's desire, stay with me tonight and you won't be disappointed. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scriptures saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify ye hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. He shall lift you up. Do you want to be lifted up tonight? Amen. Amen. First of all, let me give you some background. The book of James was written about 45 AD by the half-brother of our Lord. It may come a shock, be a shock to many, but Jesus, yes, did have brothers and sisters on this earth. Amen. The theme of the book is pure religion that is undefiled before God. Pure religion that is undefiled before God. He is writing to Christian Jews that were settled down to a self-centered religion. They were oblivious of the needs of others. They were only concerned about themselves. They cared about themselves. And seemingly they were more anxious to be friends of the world rather than friends of God. Think about that just for a moment. These were Christian Jews... And this epistle that James wrote really is a strong letter to Christian Jews. Just, just settle down to their own way of living before God. And he writes to them and he tries to explain to them certain things they needed to know to be lifted to a higher plateau in God. And he instructs them accordingly. It's also interesting to note 
some other things. James only mentions Jesus Christ twice in the entire epistle. And that's in James 1.1 1, 1 and James 1.2. I'm sorry, James 1.1 1, 1 and James 2.1. He mentions Jesus Christ twice. But also he does not mention the gospel. He does not mention the fact that the Messiah came. He does not mention the fact of redemption comes through Jesus Christ. He doesn't mention at all the life, the death, the burial, or, or the resurrection of Jesus Christ at all. He doesn't talk about the incarnation at all. Someone might think, well, then what is the value or the purpose of this letter? Why was this epistle canonized? What relevance does it have to the Christian life today? Well, in answer to that, what James is doing, he picks up at a certain place in the Christian's life. And he says, look, you've been washed in the blood of Jesus. You've experienced God's grace. You are a born-again, blood-washed child of God. He gave birth to you as an act of His own will. You know it, and I know it. Now, you are to advance along the way of holiness. You're not to be stagnant and stay where you're at. You are to grow in the things of God. And He begins to reveal certain truths that will help a person be lifted up to a higher plateau in God. And if a person wants to experience new horizons in Him, all you've got to do is follow the examples that He lists here in the Word, the details that He gives. And so basically what He's doing is helping people grow in God and letting them know that there's more in Him. Don't be satisfied with just being saved and then become stagnant spiritually. Gather together. Be oblivious to the needs of others. And live your life according to your own will. There is more to being saved than that. And that's why there was a lot of contention about the book. Because he talked about, yes, you're saved by faith. But faith without works is dead. You can't just confess or profess to be saved. And then live your life wrong. And expect to grow in God. And that's where he picks up. We could say that this is the Proverbs of the New Testament. He provides practical wisdom that will help a person experience reality with God. How many of you want reality? That's exactly what we want. We don't want religion. We want reality. Amen? He provides that practical wisdom. And so he begins to really speak to the very heart of the matter. He speaks to their hearts to the condition of their hearts, and He exposes the condition of their hearts. And just for a moment, if I may, do I have your permission to ex maybe explain or, or reveal to you a progressive step downward before I reveal the progressive step upward? Because sometimes that will help us out as much as anything else. If we can understand the progressive steps that a person can take to go downward or decline, we can also better understand how to avoid that so that we can progressively grow in the things of God. And that's what God wants for all of our lives. He doesn't want us to get settled, start playing church, and get into the flow of, of all the ugliness that can take place in the body of Christ. 
and then get so discouraged with people that we just leave the church and say, I can be a better Christian on my own, living in my house, watching TV. Well, I watch, you know, certain Christian programming and all that, and that makes me a better Christian. No, you can't. No, that's mechanical. You're not a robot. Amen? If you can't interact with people and learn to live at peace with all men, there's something wrong with your spirituality. And we better say amen or oh my or oh me. Right? Hey, if we can't walk together in love, if we can't interact with each other, something is wrong. We're blood-washed people. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. Amen? This reality with God isn't meant to be in a closet. Kept somewhere as a secret. We're supposed to live the life. Interact with each other. Share the love of God. And if we have problems with that, humble ourselves to admit it. And say, something is wrong in me. Well, we're going to work hard on the inside of us tonight. Is that okay? Well, you know, to get to higher heights, you've got to, first of all, get to deeper depths. For the tree to be tall and alive and full of strength, it's got to have deep-seated roots. Isn't that true? So the higher up you want to go in God, the deeper we've got to get in to the things of God. First of all, their condition was this. If you read there in those first few verses there in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 and 3, it says, and I'm just going to briefly give you a synopsis of it, they were at war with each other, they were fighting with each other, they were experiencing lust of sin, murder, covetousness, evil desires, sexual sins, friendships with ungodly influences, jealousies, pride, haughtiness, laughter prompted by sin, and even joy that was founded in sin. You say, my goodness, how in the world did any group of people that call themselves Christians get to that condition? It didn't happen overnight. It didn't just happen, you know, on the next Sunday morning when they met for church. It was a progression, a progression or a progression of steps that took place. It was a progressive thing that happened. And that's how they got so far beneath what God had for them in their lives. You see, beloved, it doesn't happen instantaneously. These people got that way because they failed to promote their own spiritual growth and development. They failed to do what was necessary to grow in the things of God. And you know, if a person does not work out his own salvation with fear and trembling, it doesn't matter who or she or he or she is, they are going to regress. That's a fact. If they don't work out their own salvation on a day-by-day basis, they are going to regress and go backwards. It's like anything else in life. If you're involved in athletics and you pride yourself in being in peak condition, give it about 72 hours that you don't do any exercise whatsoever. And it may be a small degree, but you're going to regress from that moment on. How many of you realize that? We see it in every phase of life. You can be on this strict diet, you can lose weight, but then you go back to eating like you did before and all of a sudden you gain the weight back. You regress. 
See, sometimes we don't want to realize we've got to stay doing the right thing so that we don't regress. You've got to continue exercising every day. I've had this rule. This is the rule I live by. Now, Mark, if this is not biblical, I can't give you chapter or verse except for Anzavino 1-1. It's my opinion and my desire that everybody at age 40 should stop gaining weight. Eat anything you want, everything you want, and you just don't gain any more weight. You know why? Because you've worked so hard till you got to age 40 to stay the weight you want to be. Now, you shouldn't be able to gain any weight. Would you like that rule? <laughs> I'm sure you would. <laughs> Who wouldn't? But I found out I've got to apply the same principles to my life that I did for the first 40 years if I want to stay that way for the next 40 years. Right? And then when I get to be 80, I'll say the same thing for the next 40 years. <laughs> the point is, beloved, you become a Christian and it's easy to settle down and neglect the working out of your own salvation. Neglect the things of God. And when that happens, people begin to fight. They become envious. Things begin to happen in their lives like these people were experiencing because they were not moving on with God. Now, let me show you the progression. Step number one is regression. It's progressive. And what it means is this. It's a progressive decline to go back slowly, a shift toward a less perfect state. A shift toward a less perfect state. In other words, if I stop doing what I was doing to promote my spirituality, even for a little bit of time, slowly something is going to be taken away from my spirituality. Did you hear that? See, we are spirit beings. And the man on the inside needs to be in control. If we stop feeding those spiritual desires, if we stop putting into those spiritual desires, regression begins to take place. Something is taking out of us spiritually. Little by little, that weakens our spiritual stand and convictions. It could just be something like this. I used to read my Bible every day for at least, you know, five, ten minutes, or I would take scriptures, and before I would go to bed at night, I would just meditate on a few of those scriptures. I used to quote the love chapter and, and, and just meditate upon what it's saying to me so that I would be sure that the next day I would be able to walk in the manifest love of God. And I used to do that consistently. But all of a sudden, see, someone is saying, I didn't do it tonight. It was, you know, late. I was tired. I didn't do it the next night, etc., etc." And before you know it, see, slowly being distracted, slowly going in another direction. All of a sudden, your heart is not full of love. All of a sudden, you find yourself in a position that you don't love as easily as you once did. You become irritable more easily and quickly. And you kind of wonder, why am I like this? What is going on? Well, see, what's happening on the inside is we are not feeding that spiritual man, the manna that we once were. See, it's a slow process. And the enemy knows 
his stuff. Let me tell you right now. He knows what to do to get us out of the will of God and to help us regress spiritually. He knows what to do. It's a slow shift toward a less perfect state. Secondly, if a person is given to regression, and there's no time to elaborate on all this, I've got too much to share, then all of a sudden they find themselves under oppression. From regression, we go to oppression, and that means to weigh down, to press upon, or to put pressure on the mind or body. To put pressure on the mind or body. To crush by abuse of authority or power. Did you ever have symptoms in your head like a headache and it felt like something was around you just pushing on your head? A pressure that was pushing on you? Have you ever felt weighed down by something? See, from regression, a person then opens himself or herself up to oppression. And there's like a weight upon you. And when a person is in a state of oppression... Do you think they're doing much for the kingdom of God? Are they doing anything to advance the kingdom of God? No, they are so pressed down with the cares of life, with the situations that they encounter, that they're really not much good to other people because they are so weighed down with themselves and what they're experiencing in their lives. A tool of the enemy, isn't it? To do what? To really paralyze us spiritually. And so that's what oppression is. But it starts with regression. We begin to regress. All of a sudden, we're not doing the things that we once did. Now, all of a sudden, we're being weakened spiritually. Now, we're under this oppression. Next step is depression. Depression. And that is to discourage or dispirit. To have a loss of spiritual initiative. See, before... It irked you if you couldn't get in your prayer and study time. But all of a sudden now, it doesn't matter as much. Seemingly, you have lost that initiative, that spiritual initiative and desire. You've been dispirited. Something has been taken away from that impetus on the inside of you to do the things of God. But you see, the thing is, you're still a Christian. You still have a profession and a confession and you still go to church, but something is lacking on the inside and so it's easy to find fault. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to backbite. It's easy to gossip. Why? Because something is lacking on the inside of this person. See? He or she might be in a depressed state and in that state of depression there is discouragement and it means to depreciate in strength. Listen carefully. To depreciate in strength. A person's spiritual strength depreciates. And we know that's true. Why? Because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew strength. Right? They shall exchange strength. We need an exchange of strength daily. We need strength for the day. And tomorrow we need strength for that day. And the same for the next day. But under a state of depression, we depreciate in strength, listen, activity, even significance. Even significance. And this one also is very important. It's key. Write it down. In level of function. We can depreciate in level of function. 
See, I used to do this, man. I used to pray up a storm, man. But all of a sudden, we depreciate in level of function. I used to attend church. I used to worship God. I used to praise God. We depreciate in level of function. I used to serve. I used to witness. I used to all these different things for God. We depreciate in level of function. Can you see the plan of the enemy? Can you see his strategy? Get you to regress to oppress you, to get you in a state of depression. Why? He's not done yet. There's still more decline. There's still more downward steps to get you into what is called obsession. Obsession. Write it down. It means to trouble continuously. Have you ever been troubled with something continuously? It means to occupy an undue or disproportionate place in the mind. To occupy a place in your mind that really he has no right to. When people are obsessed with something, it means that that something occupies this disproportionate place in their mind. Example, have you ever seen someone hooked on something like pornography? And seemingly they just can't get away from it. I'll show you the steps. They started with regression. Stop viewing things that are wholesome. Stop started viewing things that were unwholesome. Then they were oppressed. There was pressure put upon the mind. See? And that person continued. It got to a place of depression. And now, this thing called Pornography holds an undue place, a disproportionate place in the mind. It occupies that space. It is like moving in and saying, this is my territory and I'm going to make you think like this all the time. And they just can't seem to get free. Can't. This is the strategy of the enemy. Obsession. You are so consumed with it. And it's not just that, it could be anything. You know, you can be obsessed with food. Just obsessed. Some with drink. Just obsessed. You can be obsessed when it comes to athletics. Think about it. Anything, really anything that occupies this disproportionate place in your mind that takes over too much in any area. You can be obsessed with something. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. Why? Because the final stage is what? Possession. And possession means I control you. Listen, possession means to inhabit or to occupy. To be in control of someone or something. To seize or to be the master of. If that fellow over there we read in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, who was in the, you know, out there in, in, in the woods and all that, and he was possessed by these demons, these unclean spirits. He was possessed. He was not in control of himself. The whole thing is to do what? Little by little, take away from the strength of the human will. Can you see this? And the point is, very subtly, he gets you to do it because he can't do it on his own. He entices you with things, pleasures that are in the world like these people became friends 
of the world rather than friends of God. The things of the world became enticing to them and all of a sudden they began to regress. They were oppressed, got depressed and obsessed with these things. It was more important for them to be a friend of ungodly people than to make a hit with God. They had to please other people than God. You see, they were losing it spiritually. And that's what James begins to write to them. And so this is, these are the steps of progressive decline. Regression, oppression, depression, obsession, and possession. And beloved, I want you to know the power of God is greater than it all. God's power is sufficient to overcome in all those areas. But those are the steps I wanted to reveal so that people can have a better understanding so you can nip things in the bud, so to speak. And when you find yourself regressing in areas, it could be in your marital relationship, your relationship with God, in prayer, in study of God's Word. It could be where you work, in the workplace, how you all of a sudden have a change of attitude and now you look at people improperly like you shouldn't and you're not walking in the love of God like you should. It could be your attitude towards church people. You say, but you don't understand. These people said this and those people said that and, and, and all that. So you're supposed to please God. And Jesus is your example, not people. And you're still supposed to fellowship with people and live at peace with all men. It doesn't matter where you go to church, you're going to find imperfect human beings. Amen? Amen. See, the attitude has changed within. Regardless of what takes place without, it was designed to do that. And trust me, the devil will oblige. Well, what's the solution to their problem? Now we pick it up at verse 6. What is the solution to their problem? What helps a person climb out from all that decline and begin to progressively climb the heights with God, to rise up to a higher plateau, to be lifted to a new horizon in God? Well, beloved, that's what this message is all about, to help people regardless of where you're at, where you've been, or how low you've gone. It doesn't really matter. I want you to know that greater is He that's in you than he that is in the world. And God is greater than the enemy. And you can rise up above whatever it is, wherever you're at in any level, you can rise up above it all by the power of God. Do you believe that tonight? And the first step toward being lifted to a new horizon in God is the step called humility. Look at verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace. Grace is his operational power. He gives his grace to the humble. God's operational power is available to those who will humble themselves. Listen, the enemy moves in. He seizes the opportunity. He pushes. He pressures. He does everything he possibly can to gain control over a person's life. But God is not like that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God was big and bossy? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Ah, you're doing wrong there. Stop it. Stop it. Who's going to fight with God? No one. Wouldn't it be nice if he was pushy like that? I mean, you're about to say something, he looks you right in the eyeball and says, don't you say that. Okay, Lord. No one would regress. 
right? Everybody would line up. But God's not pushy. God says, I'm giving you a free will. You can do what you choose to do. Now, if you want me in your life and if you want more of me in your life, you have got to give me the control. You have got to allow me to enter in, to move in upon your heart in your life because I won't force myself in. And so that's called humble yourself. The other one is take advantage of you. But God says, no, you humble yourself. If you want me in your life, then you give yourself to me. And so it starts right here. What is humility? Properly esteeming one's importance, his merits, his views, his opinions before God. Before God. Properly viewing yourself before God. Properly esteeming yourself before God. It means to be meek in spirit, manner, or appearance. It means not to be proud or haughty. That's what it means. Humble yourself. In other words, we have got to go to God and say, there's nothing I can do to exalt myself. Because any attempt to exalt myself means failure. He that will humble himself will be exalted, but he that exalts himself will be abased. And so, Lord, I recognize that the problem that I'm in is because I chose to live my life according to my own opinions, my own views, the way I see life, the way I see church life, the way I see church people. I chose to live by my own views and opinions. And, Lord, I've discovered that I'm very limited in understanding and my vantage point is not near as big as yours. So, Lord, I humble myself before you because I want to be lifted up. Beloved, mark it down. Without any humility, there is no exaltation. Jesus was exalted to the highest seat in the universe because he first humbled himself to become a man. Correct? So, if the way to true exaltation is through humility for Jesus, how else could it possibly be for us? So, no matter where you're at, listen, you might be Somewhere in God that you're so proud of yourself that you stop your own growth and development. Do you realize that? The moment pride sets in, growth stops. That's true. We should thank God for where we're at, but then maintain a humble attitude that says, I'm not satisfied. And Lord, I, only, I know that only through you can I be exalted to a higher place. And so I come to you and I humble myself before you. And that's what James was trying to tell these people. You need grace to be lifted to a higher place. Grace is God's operational power in your life to lift you to a higher place. And you can't have that more grace, that additional grace that is needed without first humbling yourself. Don't exalt yourself, humble yourself. You realize that it's hard to get into an argument with somebody when you humble yourself? A lot of arguments continue because I want to be right. No, I'm right. No, you're wrong. I'm right. No, you're wrong. I'm right. Yeah, but you don't know how it is. Oh, yes, I do. You don't know how it is. Well, I say it should be this way. No, I say it should be that way. And I'm right. And you're wrong. Besides, you don't have any taste anyhow. My goodness, what are we arguing about? There were wars among them because... People were sitting in their pews. 
That went. <laughs> what were they warring over? You're sitting in my seat. No, no, this is my seat. You don't understand. I've been sitting in that seat for the last seven years. Is your name on it? On this section? No writing on the pews. They were warring. They were arguing. Over what? You prayed last time for the collection. I don't think so. I think it was you. There was war among them. Fighting, envying. The word killing over there really, we think it to be murdered, but if you look at your margin, it says envying more than that because uh, this is one of those areas where the translators, when they translated it from Greek into the English language, the words are very close for murder and envy. And you'll even notice that there's a correction in the margin that says envyings rather than murders. Can you imagine going to church? Yeah, here's Joe. He murdered uh, Paul last week. And I mean, all this was going on. Why was this all going on? Because, listen carefully, because there was something lacking within. So I want you to hold that thought in mind because we want to get out of that and go to higher heights in God, right? Be lifted to new horizons in God. Okay, so now they are to humble themselves before God. Number one. Number two, verse seven. The first word is the word submit. Everybody say submit. submit. I know this is not easy for a person to do. What does submit mean? Are you ready for this? Surrender. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. No, surrender somebody. Will somebody surrender already? Does it matter who's right? Does it matter who's wrong? Will somebody surrender to God? See, submit means to surrender or yield your will over to God. That's what it means. I surrender. I humble myself before you. I recognize there's some lack in me. I recognize I shouldn't be the way I am. I should not be so irritated, so easily frustrated with the things of life, with my brother, with my sister. Lord, I'm not walking in your will. I humble myself before you. I surrender myself to you. I surrender my will to you. I give myself over to you, Lord. Also, your personal behavior is to be surrendered to the control of God Himself. How many of you really want to hear the rest of this about being lifted to a higher plateau in God? <laughs> these are not exciting messages, but I'll tell you what, they get right to the root of things. And these are the things that we need to make strong faith in people's lives. Because you see, faith is just not on the surface. Faith starts right here inside the heart. And sometimes when you teach faith, you're of the opinion or the assumption that people already understand these foundational truths. And that's not true, they don't. And their heart motives are wrong and they expect great things from God because they have the principles and the formulas, but they don't have the heart that goes with it. Can you see that? Surrender your behavior. Surrender your will to the control of God. Remember what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane? He submitted. He said, Lord, not mine be done, but thine be done. And, oh, beloved, sometimes it's not graphic enough because we can't see it. He was there. He was on that rock, how they picture him sometimes. And he was praying to his father. And he said, oh, Lord, Father, if it's possible, let this cup be, pass from me. And then he said, nevertheless, 
not my will. That was his night of surrender to God. He surrendered his will to the control of the Father. And he was sweating as if it were, the Bible says, drops of blood. Can you imagine what it took for Jesus to surrender? You know, sometimes for us, I mean, my goodness, to surrender is not an easy thing. I understand that. But sometimes we give up too soon. We need to fight for what is right in our lives. And we need to surrender ourselves to God. And that's what James is telling all these people. If you want to be lifted up individually and collectively as a body, he is saying surrender your will and your character to God. Yield yourself to God. Thirdly, if you want to be lifted to a higher plateau, if you want to rise up out of whatever state of regression you might be in, he is saying here, Number one, humble yourself. Number two, submit yourself. See, submit yourself. You do it as Jesus did. I submitted myself, he said, to you, to the, to the Father. He surrendered himself. God doesn't make you do it. Trust me, if God ever twisted your arm, you would surrender. How many of you think so? But God doesn't twist our arms, does he? He leaves it up to us. He allows us to be free will agents. He allows us to make right choices or wrong choices if we so choose, if we so will. But he's saying, you have got to surrender. You have got to lay down your life. You've got to say, not my will, but thine be done. I'm not going to act this way in the workplace. You know why? I surrender to your will, Father God. If I surrendered to my will, I'd be in more fights than you could possibly imagine. I'd be in more heated discussions and arguments than you could possibly imagine. But you told me to live at peace with all men, so I surrender to your will and not mine. Amen. I'm not to be full of strife and debate, the Bible says, correct? Okay, number three. Everybody say resist. Yes. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil. Say it again, resist. That means to withstand the force or the effect of the devil. To exert yourself to counteract or defeat the devil. Every child of God has been warned by the Spirit of God that there would be an enemy out there that we have got to withstand. There will be forces unleashed against us to get us to line up with Satan's will and not God's will. How many of you know that it's easier to gravitate toward the will of your flesh than it is toward the will of your spirit? Come on, say amen or oh my. It's the truth. It's easier to gravitate toward the will of the flesh. And Satan pushes on your flesh. Entices you with things that activate your fleshly lusts. See, and it's easy to gravitate toward that. And it seemingly is unfair, but really... We've got to gain this knowledge because that, was, that is what helps us understand that greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. We've got to learn to yield to who we are in spirit and rise up above the lust of the flesh. But resist, withstand. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, you can write it down. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against 
the forces, the wiles, the strategies, the plans of the devil. Isn't that what it says? Okay. Notice, we cannot possibly be in the right position to resist if we are not first strong in the Lord and the power of His might. If we are not clothed in the armor of God, it will be a very difficult thing for us to resist the forces that are coming against us to get us to regress and go backwards in the things of God. And that's why every person should look to those verses and discover what it means to be clothed with the armor of God. It's the armor of God. We're fighting spiritual battles. We need spiritual weapons and armor. Amen? Okay. And so then with that power, we resist the devil. And what does it say? He will flee from you. He will run from you as in terror, the Bible says. So we've got to humble, we've got to submit, we've got to resist. Are you ready to humble? Are you ready to submit, surrender? Are you ready to resist? Because there will be a fight. There will be a struggle. Are you kidding me? You think the devil wants you to get higher in God? It's the devil who wanted to get higher above God, right? I will lift up my throne above the stars of God. I will rise up and be like the Most High. Wasn't that his desire? Wasn't that his plan? Isn't that what he wanted? You think he wants you to rise up when he's gone down to the pit? He doesn't want you to rise up to any higher level than God. Why? He's jealous of you. He's jealous of who you are. He wants to pull you down to his level and he is on a fast decline. See? So we are to resist the devil. He will run from you as in terror. Humble, submit, resist. Withstand the force that will come against you. He will flee from you. So in other words, expect a challenge along the way. And then he goes on. Let's read. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I love this next part. Draw nigh to God. Draw nigh. See, God doesn't get a rope and lasso you and start pulling you like that forcibly. No. He woos you in. He said, come and taste. I've got more glory for you. I've got so much for you that your eye hath not seen, your ear hath not heard of the glorious things that I have provided for you. I've revealed them by my Spirit. And if you want to behold them, then come close to me. How do I draw nigh to God? Oh, this is so important. It's so essential. You draw nigh to God through the study of His Word. You draw nigh to God through personal prayer. You draw nigh to God by personal worship. What we did around this altar, that's why I say, I don't, want, I don't like just singing songs. I think you know that by now. I, I want to see these young kids, these young people lift up their hands to heaven. I want to hear them say, Hallelujah. It's teaching them how to draw nigh to God. To say, Praise you, Jesus. I bless you. I don't like just to see him sitting out there, you know, looking around while we're singing songs and clapping our hands and all that. No, I want them to know, lift your hand to heaven. 
Bless the Lord. Say, I love you, Jesus. And you say, well, they're just repeating after me. For now, that's fine because their hearts will catch up with their mouths. I believe I'm sowing seed in their lives. It will produce fruit in their lives down the road somewhere. Someday they'll be older. They'll be driving down their car. They'll go, Hallelujah! And I'll say, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> draw nigh to God and He... Here's the secret. Will draw nigh unto you. It's just like, you know, you're having somebody over your house. You've, got, you've given out the invitation. Lord, I'm inviting you into my life. He will not intrude. I'm inviting you into my home. I'm inviting you into every affair of my life. I'm making myself ready for your appearance or for your entrance into every facet of my being. I'm drawing nigh unto you. And what does he say? He's going to answer the call. He is going to answer the invitation. He's going to RSVP. He's going to be over your house. I will draw nigh unto you. And when He does, I'm telling you, He will leave a residue of His presence, of His character, of His power, of His might in your life. This is what the life of faith is all about. Getting God in you. Rubbing off on you. Until you're aglow like Moses was when he came down the mountain. And if you think His face shone, you haven't seen the new creation and its glory. Can you say amen to that? Praise God. Draw nigh unto God. He will draw nigh unto you. Now listen, cleanse your hands. That was an expression. Cleanse your hands. It was a symbol of innocence and purity. That's what it was. To cleanse your hands. You've, seen, you've heard of the people that they don't eat without first washing their hands. It was a symbol of being cleansed and purified. Cleansing and purity. That's what it was. In other words, I am washing my hands. Remember when Pilate finally concluded that I don't want anything to do with the blood of this just man. And he washed his hands. And what did the Jews say? His blood be on us and our children forever. I wash my hands of the whole thing. Right? Okay. You know what we're saying? You know what he's telling them to do? Wash your hands of the gossip. I'm done with it. I'm purifying my life. I'm purifying my heart. I'm cleansing my character. That's no longer going to be a part of my life. I'm washing my hands of all that garbage. Forget about the gossip. Wash your hands of the envy, the strife, the backbiting, the adultery, the, the uh, sexual immorality. Wash your hands. Cleanse your hands. Purify your life, he is saying. That's it. I want nothing to do with it any longer. Just like Pilate says, I want nothing to do with this just man. Well, I want nothing to do with sin. I want nothing to do with, with gossip. I want nothing to do with backbiting. I want nothing to do with criticizing. I want nothing to do with anything that promotes disunity among the saints. I won't have anything more to do with it. Then he goes on to say, be afflicted and mourn. This is speaking of true heartfelt repentance. Be afflicted and mourn. Now listen carefully. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. That sounds wrong, doesn't it? Well, why, is it, why does he want our laughter to be turned to you know, uh, mourning and our joy to heaviness? Because see, he was talking about, first of all, they were experiencing laughter as a result of sin. Founded upon sin. Joy founded upon sin. 
In other words, you've been around some ungodly people that talk about some ungodly things and they get a big laugh out of it, don't they? Right? And see, these things that they talk about, these things that they do and they laugh about it, they're full of joy over it. And really, it's, it's all wrong before God. And that was contaminating these people. People are doing some wrong things, sinful things, whatever. They got a laugh over it. They, got, they were joyful about it. Hey, I'll tell you what. It's, it's sad to say, but beloved, that can filter into the church. You know that as well as I do. And he was saying their view of sin was wrong. Their view, of, their view of hurting God through ungodly acts was wrong. And the way they got their laughs and their joy was wrong. He was saying, you should mourn over this. You should be in a, have heaviness over this. Repent! And say, oh God, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be laughing at hearing rumors about people and, and taking pleasure in things like gossip and criticism and did you hear them criticize so-and-so for what he did? My goodness, and everybody, oh, isn't that funny? At the expense of another brother in Christ who may have been sincere, even though he may have been wrong, may have been sincere with his attitude of heart. Do you understand that? It's easy for Christians to get caught up into that mode. And he's saying, look, cleanse your hands, purify your heart, start mourning and start being heavy over getting laughter and joy out of wrongdoing. He said, turn that thing around, repent, which means to take another course of action, repent of that, and then he goes on to say, humble yourselves. See, once again, he repeats it and he adds something to it that is essential to understand. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Here's what he adds to this humility. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord means see yourself before God not others. Compare yourself to God, not others. Isaiah saw the Lord. See, in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Isaiah saw the Lord. And when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and full of glory, he said, I am undone. A man of unclean lips. I am. I am. I am. I am. I am. But see, if you're not seeing God, you're walking over here among men and you think you're better. Hey, I'm Mr. Joe Cool. I'm somebody big and special, you know, and I'm just going to tell you what to do. And oh, what a different attitude when we're talking just with people in everyday talk and everyday walk of life. I'm somebody, you know, I've got a name, I've got a title, I'm important. All of a sudden, there's God. <gasps> Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. You want to compare yourself to anybody, compare yourself to Him, and you'll be reduced to true humility just like Isaiah was. He said, they're full of glory. I'm a, a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. My goodness, your holiness just drives me to my knees. Do you see what he's doing? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. In other words, view yourself in the presence of God. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Don't think, well, I'm a better Christian than that one. I'm a better Christian than this one. Maybe that one's got a little bit on me, but I don't know. Don't have that kind of an attitude. If you want to view yourself before anyone, do so before God. Boy, that'll get you a straight-thinking mind, won't it? High and lifted up and full of glory. And He's so holy that I can't stand to be in this presence of, of a holy God. Look at him. You see how he viewed himself? A proper view of yourself is when you see yourself before God. You'll maintain an attitude of humility before God. It is essential, beloved, 
an, an essential condition to our exaltation. True humility is an essential condition to our exaltation or being lifted up or exalted to a higher place or to a new horizon in God. Beloved, the essence of true conviction is a deep overwhelming concern over what I am, not what I do. Over what I am. Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips. He wasn't standing there saying, I did this, 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 I did this. See, it was a view of self. What I am. I am a man under a living God. It's better for me to view myself as who I am and not try to cover up who I am by what I've done. I can't deceive God. He knows what I've done, good or bad. What I am is more important. God is more interested in His servants than their service. Don't let that go over top of you. He is more interested in His servants than in their service. He's more concerned about you than what you've done. You, the person. He's concerned about you. Well, I didn't do enough. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. He's concerned about you. You are valuable. You are important. You are meaningful. He loves you. Not your service. He wants you to serve Him. He wants you to do His will. But He loves you. He's concerned about you. For the Father Himself loveth you. Holiness of life is more important than that of doctrine. You know why? You can know all the doctrine. You can know all the formulas, all the principles. But without holiness of life, you'll never have their reality. Holiness of life leads into reality. See, the faith life is built on this. This is the foundation for the faith life. I want God to change my inner parts. I want God to create within me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. I want God to do a work of holiness and righteousness within my being so that when I act, when I carry out the doctrine, it is from the inward to the outward. It's life coming out of me. And beloved, when that happens, I'm going to tell you something right now. You're a living epistle of the living Christ, known and read of all. All men. Your actions will speak louder than your words. They will see the life of God in you. You will do right more than talk about it. In other words, if you're going to talk to talk, make sure you walk the walk. And this is the way. What will happen? And finally, what will happen? And this is the end. And I'll close it here as quickly as I can. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, in the view of God. Let Him be the one you look at and focus on. You'll have humility. You'll never, never be proud again if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Can you see that? If you esteem yourself in His presence based on who He is and His achievements rather than somebody else. Okay? And what will He do? What will He do? This is as sure as anything you ever banked on. 
He will. Everybody say, He will. He will. Say, God will. God will. Lift me up. That means he will exalt you. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, if you humble yourself, he that humbles himself will be what? He'll be exalted. What does to exalt mean? It means to, listen carefully, elevate, to raise high, to enhance, to heighten, to intensify, to refine, to make more complete and mature. What will God do? He'll elevate you. He'll raise you high. He'll enhance your life, your character, your spirituality. He will heighten these things. He'll intensify your relationship with Him. He'll refine you. He'll make you more complete and mature in Him. That's what He'll do. He will exalt you in your dignity, your wealth, your power, your character, your position. It's like this. This is, this is if speaking in their language, it was like this. Anybody that did wrong before God and found out that they did wrong and really had a true heart of repentance, what they would do is really abase themselves or humble themselves before God. And in some cases, they would be clothed in sackcloth and ashes and all that. What they would do is just throw themselves on the ground and prostrate themselves before the Lord. And they would just lie there in, in, in a penitent heart and, and attitude and they would just cry out unto God and cry, Oh Lord, I've done wrong in your sight. Forgive me. I've come to my senses. What have I done? I've disobeyed you. I shouldn't have done that. And, and my goodness, I just I appeal to you. Forgive me. Have mercy upon my soul. And they're, they're just on the ground. They're in the dust. It's rolling in the dust. And when they are assured that any sacrifice has been made and they're assured that God heard and now God has forgiven them, what do they do? They get up and they brush themselves off, and they put on clean clothes. They are clothed in clean, with clean clothes. Beloved, God wants to clothe His people in better garments. He wants to enhance His glory, the clothing of His glory, the clothing of His power, the clothing of His character in all of our lives. When a person is sincere and, and truly repentant before God like that, and you really humble yourself and abase yourself and open up your heart to His correction and instruction, it's just like rolling in the dust before God and just saying, I admit I've done wrong. I, I admit that I've fallen short. And God will take you up out of that dust. He will rip off the sackcloth. He will clothe you with enhanced Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.